There are three groups of people in the world. Just three groups. The first group are those folks that are waiting to live. Waiting to live. They think if they can just make it to the next stage of life, then they'll really be happy. And this mindset starts at an early age. Perhaps with a young person thinking, well, if I, if I could just get a vehicle, then I'll have wheels, I'll be independent, I can go where I want to go. That, that'll be great. That's when I really experience life and happiness. And then perhaps they, they get a vehicle and they think, well, there's, there's, there's more. There's got to be more. If I, if I could just turn 18, I'll become an adult. Be time for me to leave the, the home and find a career or further my education. If I can just get to that stage and, and meet my goals there, that's when I'll really be happy. And they get to that stage and they think, well, maybe it, it's going to be when I find a spouse. If I can just find the right person, you know, my, my soulmate, then, then I'll really be happy. Then I'll really experience life. And so they go through that stage of life where they're looking for the right person. And they get married and they think, well, well maybe it's when I have kids. Now, once we have kids, boy, that, that's, when, that's when there'll really be life. And kids come into the home. And they're little, and things are crazy during the preschool years. They're thinking, well, if they can just get out of diapers, get a little bit older, then, then, then it'll be good living. That, that's when we'll really, you know, experience life. And the kids get older, and you think, well, you know, they learn to be more independent. If we can, you know, if we can just get their education settled and, and get them out of the home into a good career, or a good school, that's when we'll be happy. And, and, and that happens. You think, well, maybe there's something more out there. Empty nest. If, boy, if I could, but the empty nest years, we're going to live it up. We're going to do all the things we wanted to do, but we couldn't because we had kids in the home. So empty nest, that's where we will find life. And the nest is empty, and you're still wondering where life is. And, and then someone with this mindset might think, well, retirement. When retirement comes, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to go where I want to go do what I want to do, take those vacations I want to take. Retirement will be life. Boy, that's when we'll really be happy. And folks get to retirement, they realize there must be something more. Maybe it's grandkids, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but eventually folks with that mindset run out of life, don't they? Their life comes to an end. And they spent their entire time on this earth thinking about the next stage thinking the next stage will give them life, but they never reach a place of fulfillment. There are folks who are waiting to live. A second group of people on this earth are those who are looking for life in all the wrong places. These folks think, if I can just achieve this, or if I can just acquire this thing, then life will be good. If I can meet my goals, boy, I'll be happy then. Or if I can, if I can gain these material things, I'll, I'll be happy then. That's when I'll really experience life. So they spend their entire life trying to achieve, their entire life trying to acquire, and yet nothing they achieve or acquire satisfies their soul because they're looking for life in all of the wrong places. If you want to find a biblical example of someone with this mindset, you can... Read the book of Ecclesiastes. 
King Solomon was a man that had it all. And he tried to find life in many different avenues. He tried wealth. Boy, if I can just have great material riches and be the richest king in this area, that's when I will find satisfaction, but wealth did not deliver. And he thought, well, maybe it's women. Maybe if I can, maybe if I can have enough women to fulfill my every desire, that's when I'll be happy. And he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. But he never found life. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's work. You know, if I can just build some palaces and some gardens and, 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 and form a great military and enlarge our borders, if I just rule this nation well, that's where I will find real meaning and purpose and fulfillment. So he tried work, but work did not deliver. Maybe it's wine. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, eat, drink, uh, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. So I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to party it. I'm going to party and enjoy the things life has to offer. Maybe that's where I'll find life. But it didn't deliver. And Solomon said, well, maybe it's wisdom. God made him the wisest man on the face of the earth. He said, surely, because I'm so wise, and I can figure things out and write Proverbs and make wise decisions, then I'll be really satisfied, but wisdom did not deliver. You know what, you know what Solomon said about wealth and women and work and wine and wisdom? Solomon said it's all vanity. It's all empty. It's all futile. It does not give life. And there are people in this world that think if they can just get the right thing, if they can just achieve the, the right thing, then they will have life. And life always eludes their grasp. But there's a third group in this world. And it's in this group that I hope you're either in or going to be in by the end of our worship time this morning. These are folks who have discovered that life is found in Jesus. And, and to even be more specific, these are folks that understand that life is Jesus. That's where life is truly found. And I want you to see this from the Word of God. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. So we continue our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful New Testament letter. Now, you notice the title of the sermon is, Christ is Life. And I want you to do something with your notes that I did in my own notes. I added it with my pen because it's not in my printout, it's not in your printout. I want you, after the title, Christ is Life, I want you to put an exclamation point. Because I feel really strongly about this. Christ is is life. I want us to get that before we leave this morning. Christ is life. Now look what it says there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, now watch this phrase, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we ask for your blessing on this time. Lord, would you place your hand upon us as we study your word? And would you speak to us in a mighty way? Holy Spirit of God, would you move in our midst, take your word, and apply it to our hearts that we might be transformed. Give us the grace of illumination that we might understand your word. And and give us the grace of application that we might live what we learn. Give us the power, the strength, the wisdom to obey. And to adjust our life, to bring it into conformity with your will and your way. Father, would you move with power. We love you, we praise you, we pray that Jesus would be lifted up in this place. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now as we've journeyed through this letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Colossae, we've seen the structure... uh, evolve in the, or, or surface in this text, in this letter. We've seen that the first two chapters deal with Paul pointing the church to the preeminence of Christ, who he is and what he has done, and encouraging them, now that they have met Christ as Lord and Savior, to grow, to mature in their relationship with Jesus. And then in chapter 3, in the coming scriptures we're going to study in the coming weeks, he deals with some specific areas that Christ ought to affect in our lives. He deals with money and morality and marriage and parenting, all these different things that Christ should make an impact in. But before he gets to the specifics, there are some transitional verses found in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We spent two sermons studying these four verses. And before we leave these four verses behind, I want to just deal with a phrase. I just can't get off my mind and heart. I want, us to, I want us to hone in and focus in on that phrase where Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. I want, to, I want us to meditate on that phrase and think about what it means and what it means for our life. What does it mean when Paul says, Christ is your life? Now, really quickly, some translations say, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Some say when Christ, who is our life, appears. Is it your or is it our? Well, the different translations go different directions. The oldest and best manuscripts, I believe, uh, point to the use of the word your, but it doesn't change the meaning. Whether it's Christ is your life or our life, it's the same idea. And I believe Christ is your life is the, the better translation of this phrase. What does it mean that Christ is your life? What does it mean to all of us in this room that Christ is our life. Well, it means at least three things. We're going to look at some other scriptures that undergird this truth to help us to understand what this idea is that Christ is our life. First of all, it means that Christ is the source of life. Christ is the source of life. Uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Apostle John has much to say about Christ and life. In John chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, In him, in Christ, was what? Life. 
and the life was the light of men. So John is saying that in Christ is found life. Christ is the source of life. Now, I believe that Christ is the source of three, three types of life. First of all, Christ is the source of eternal life. Eternal life. Turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 25. The context here is the death of Jesus' friend Lazarus. Jesus comes to Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, and they are grieving over the death of their brother. And before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he makes an important I am statement to Martha. Look what it says there in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In other words, I offer life that is eternal beyond the grave. Jesus here is saying that he is the source of eternal life. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, even when you face death, there's life beyond death. There's eternal life in heaven with Jesus that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And if you want to experience eternal life, if you want to experience heaven, listen, it's only found in Jesus. He's the source. You can't find eternity, eternal life, in anyone else or anything else other than Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven except, he says, through me. He's the source of eternal life. And to make it even clearer, look over in 1 John chapter 5. Again, Apostle John, right before the book of Revelation, you've got Jude and then three letters of John before that. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and verse 12, John makes a very clear statement. I mean, you just, you just don't get more clear than this. You ready? He says, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life, this eternal life, is in who? His Son. If you want eternal life that God offers as a gift, it's found in His Son. Then in verse 12, Whoever has the Son has life. In context, eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's pretty clear, right? If you have the Son, you have life, life eternal. If you don't have the Son, you do not have life. So Jesus is the source of eternal life. The, 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 the gift of God where we get to step through death into eternity and be in a place where there's no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. We get to be in a place where Jesus is and we get to fellowship with him through the ages. Jesus is the source of eternal life. But secondly, Jesus is the source of abundant life. Abundant life. Life in the here and now. Look what John uh, records in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Turn with me. John, chapter 10, the Gospel of John. The context here is when Jesus is explaining to his followers that he is the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says something that is striking. 
John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief, speaking of Satan, the devil, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan is a destroyer. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your church. He wants to destroy your workplace. He wants to destroy your country. He wants to destroy this world. He is a destroyer. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. But look at the contrast in verse 10. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. In other words, Jesus Christ is the source of abundant life in the here and now. Here's what that means. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't have to wait to live. It's not the next stage of life that will deliver happiness. It's your relationship with Christ in the here and now. Because Christ gives you peace and fulfillment and joy like you can never imagine or comprehend fully. Jesus offers you the gift of abundant life right now. You don't have to wait to live. If you know Christ, you can experience life today. Because he offers that life. He is the source of that life. He's the source of abundant life. The good life. You want to live the good life? Pursue Jesus. That's where the good life's found. But there's a third type of life that Jesus Christ is the source of. He's the source of eternal life. He's the source of abundant life. But he's also the source of transformed life. Transformed life. Turn to Galatians chapter 2 with me. Another Letter of Paul, right before Philippians, which is right before Colossians. Right before Ephesians, which is right before Philippians, which is right before Colossians. Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Some of you in here might say, I, you know, I want to change my life. I want to do things differently. It's what, you know, kind of New Year's about resolutions. You can go to Books a Million or you can go to Barnes and Nobles and go to the self-help section. There are thousands of books which will explain to you how to change your life. But here's the key. You can't change your life. Only Jesus can fundamentally transform your life. And look what he says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. saying, when I met Christ, there was a decisive end. The old Paul, who was Saul, died. The power of my old sin nature has lost its hold on me. I'm no longer enslaved to my old self. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, watch this, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you want to change, you know what you need to do? You need to die. When you meet Christ as your Lord and Savior, your old self dies. And what happens is Christ comes to take up residence in your life and he begins to live his life through you. And that, my friends, is when transformation happens. So every day we've got to get up and say, I'm dead. The old way died. The old self died. Jesus, you're in me. Would you live your life through me? And that's when transformation comes. 
That's when the transformed lives come. Jesus is life. He's the source of transformation. He's the source of a transformed life. Now, all the great rivers in our world have a source. All rivers have a source. Think about a river like the Nile or a river like the Amazon or even the Mississippi River. They all have a source. And and the reason those rivers are full and flowing and teeming with life is because they have a source. And if you want a fullness of life, if you want an abundance of life, if you want to transform life, you've got to have the right source. And Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is that source. He will give you that life. So Christ is the source of life. That's part of what it means that Christ is our life. But there's a second idea here. Not only is Christ the source of our life, Christ is the object of our life. Christ is the object of our life. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I know I have you turning a lot, but these are some verses we really need to ponder for a moment together. Philippians chapter 3. Now let me give you a little bit of context before we read some verses together. In this chapter, Paul is, is talking about his religious pedigree before he met Christ. Paul said, I was a religious person. Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. When you look at my religious resume, I, I, I had all the, the boxes checked. I was zealous for the law, even to the point when I persecuted Christians because I thought they were a threat to God's law. I was, I was externally righteous. Anyone would look at my life and say, boy, Paul is a religious man. Paul said something happened to me. On the road to Damascus, I met the risen Christ. And he showed me that life is not found in my religious ritual. Life is not found in my piety. Life is found in a relationship with Christ. He's the only one that can can save. Not my my good works. I'm not good enough. I need a rescuer. I need a savior. And, and And Paul experienced Jesus. So look at the transform, transformation that took place in his mind. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, whatever gain I had, all my religious pedigree, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul's saying, I tried to be righteous on my own. And I had this this religious resume that stretched a mile long. And everybody thought I had life figured out, but I understood I needed a Savior. And I've met the Savior. Paul's saying, I take all my past, all the things I thought I had life, that gave me life, and I compare them to Christ, and they're all rubbish. Compared to Christ, my former life is rubbish. And, And the point Paul's making here is this. If Christ is the one that gives me life, 
why would I pursue anyone or anything else? Look what he says in the next verse. I love verse 10. Oh, you got to look at verse 10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Paul's saying, if he's the one that gives me life, if he's the one that saves, if he's the one that satisfies, if he's the one that fulfills, I'm going to pursue him. I want to know him better. I want to know him more. So if you look there in your notes, Jesus is the only lasting fulfillment that you will find. If that's true, here's what this ought to mean for your life and my life. We ought to make our pursuit of him the great aim of life. If Jesus is the only one that satisfies, if he's the only one that gives life, then pursuing him should be number one on your priority list, right? You say, wait, I know Jesus, I'm saved. Well, guess what? You can grow in your relationship with him. You can know him daily in a deeper, fuller way. You'll never fathom the depths that are found in Christ. Every day you can know him more and more and more and more. So every day you ought to pursue him more and more and more and more. Paul says, I've been saved and I want to know him more. Christ is the object of our life. Stop chasing other things that you think will satisfy and chase Jesus. He's the one that satisfies. This afternoon, there'll be a football game, two football games, and the winner of those two games will determine who plays in the Super Bowl. Now, one of those games is between the New England Patriots and the Denver Broncos, and it's being billed as another battle between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And if you know anything about football, Tom Brady, the Patriots, uh, they've had a lot of success uh, in the past decade. As I was studying for this message, I was reminded of an interview that 60 Minutes did with Tom Brady in 2005. Now, just to establish the context of the interview, Tom Brady had just won his third Super Bowl, just an incredible athletic accomplishment. And he had just entered into a new multi-million dollar contract with the New England Patriots. I mean, he had it all. Money, fame, success, accomplishment. He had it all. And so 60 Minutes did this interview with Tom Brady. And here's what Tom Brady said in the interview. It's it's really fascinating. Tom Brady posed this question. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, that's, that's what it is. I reach my goal, my dream, my life. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. Three Super Bowls. Multi-millionaire. Fame. And he says, there's got to be something more than this. He goes on to say, I mean, this isn't, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I love playing football, and I love being quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. And at that moment in the interview, Steve Croft asked Tom Brady, he said, well, what's the answer? And with angst in his voice, Tom Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. 
Can we just stay together in this room this morning? We have the answer. We know where life is found. It's not an achievement. It's not an accomplishment. The object of a fulfilled life is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Jesus is our life. So not only is he the the source of life and the object of life, the great aim, pursuing him, but third, Christ is the purpose of our life. He becomes the purpose for our daily existence. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. You're already there in Philippians, so just look in chapter 1, verse 21 with me. I love this verse. Philippians 1, verse 21. Paul writes, For to me, to live is who? Christ. And to die is gain. Paul's saying, if I die, it's good because I get to go be with Jesus. And being with Jesus in heaven is better than the the rigors and the struggles and the trials of this earth. But he says, every day that I live is an opportunity for me to make an impact for Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. Every day that I live is opportunity for Christ. Like Paul, impact for Christ should be our motivation for living. Paul said, heaven would surely be better than this earth. But I want more time so that I can make a greater impact for Jesus. Have you ever thought about your motivation for living? You ever thought about that? Why why do you want to live a longer life? I mean, why do we... You know, take medicine and do take preventive steps and go to doctor's appointments and have tests. And when we find something wrong, we treat it. Why do we we want to extend our life? Why do we want to live longer? Paul says, the great purpose in living is Jesus. Every day that you live is a day that you have the, the capacity and the opportunity to make much of Christ. That should be our motivation for living. And when Christ is the purpose of our life, we can stay focused on what's truly important. Everything else just kind of fades away as we understand that it's all about Jesus and we understand that He's the purpose for life, then we will stay focused on on Him and His kingdom, not be distracted by all the the things this world offers. I like what Max Andrews writes. Not only is life shared by identification with Christ, Christ is life itself. For the believer, life isn't merely activity, details, Life is an acquisition or accomplishment. Life is Christ. Listen, he is the focus of our aspirations, the reason for our existence. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is Christ the focus of your aspirations? Is he the reason for your existence? Can you say today, to live is Christ? Or are you chasing some other purpose in life? See, I believe when we get this, when the church gets this, 
that's when we'll see real transformation in our nation. When we realize that whatever avenue of life we find ourselves in, we can make much of Christ, that's when we'll see things really change. You see, this verse, to live as Christ dies again, this is not just for preachers and missionaries and church planters. You know, we, we put those folks up, you know, kind of pedestal. that They're the ones that are really going to do some, some neat stuff for Jesus, right? But what if God has put you in education or health care? Or if God has you at home right now taking care of your family as a homemaker? Or you're in manufacturing or you own a small business or you're looking for a job? Wherever you are right now in life, could it be that right now where you are, your purpose can be Jesus? Whatever he's placed you, wherever he's placed you, where you are, you can make an impact for Christ. When we get this and begin to live this out, that Christ is the real purpose for living, that's when we'll see things change in our nation. Christ is the purpose of life. I read an article about David Green. He's the founder and CEO of Hobby Lobby. He's a believer and he seeks to build his business on Christian principles. He's been in the news as of late and Hobby Lobby's been in the news over an ongoing battle over religious liberty and the health care mandates and things of that nature. And you can read about that. But uh, this story was about his upbringing. David Green grew up in rural Oklahoma. His father was a pastor, and uh, they grew up not, not wealthy at all. But prominently displayed in his home was a picture that had this phrase on it. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When he left the home and began to have some success and to achieve some things, he would come back and share that with his mother. And his mother would say, that's nice, David, but what are you doing for the Lord? And he began to see that he could use his talents and his giftedness and his income and his resources and his influence to make a big deal about Jesus. And he has. So what about you? Where's God placed you? How could God use you right where you are to make much of Jesus? When we say Christ is our life, surely we're saying that Christ is our purpose for living. Now I want to close by just saying this. Turn back to Colossians 3 with me. You say, wait. All that is your opinion. I'm glad that works for you. I'm glad that you found meaning and fulfillment and, and purpose in life. But who are you to tell me that Christ should be my life? I, I think I could find life somewhere else. Who are you to tell me that I can only find life in Jesus? Well, listen. I'm no one. But God has told us. That life is found in his son. If you look in Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. Paul uses a title for Christ four different times. He uses the title Christ. Look what it says there in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. 
Look in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Four times in four verses, Paul uses the title Christ applied to Jesus. What does this title Christ mean? Well, well, literally, in the Greek language, it's Christos. The Hebrew version is Mashiach, which is translated Messiah. And that term, Christ or Messiah, literally means anointed one. It means, listen, that God the Father has set his seal upon his Son. And he's told us, if you want to find life, you find it in the one I promised to send, the one who came, the one who lived, the one who died, the one who rose from the dead. That's where you find life. God has told us this. This is not a preacher's opinion. God has told us Jesus is the Christ. Like what Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says, applied to Jesus, this term Christ expresses the conviction that he had divine appointment for his office and function. And so you can keep on looking for life in all the wrong places if you want to. Or you can continue to just wait to live, thinking the next stage of life will be where you really find happiness. Or you can listen to God. And God has set his seal upon his son. And told us, life is found in Jesus. He is the Christ. 